Welcome to the Execution Zone podcast, where we tackle the challenge of why executing strategy is so much harder than actually creating it. We talk openly and honestly with entrepreneurs and leaders who will share the behind the scenes story of their own journey. This will give you the insights that you need to shortcut your own path to success. Welcome to this week's episode of the Execution Zone podcast. I'm Abby White. This week, we've got the incredible Julie Masters with us. Now, there's a bit of a story to this week's podcast. Um, Julie and I, when going to record the podcast, had a number of hurdles between not being able to get access to our room, being interrupted, noise in the background, and eventually Julie having to leave um, to catch a flight. So this podcast definitely um, wasn't perfect, And it's actually quite interesting. And the reason I share this story is, for me, this is a huge part of execution. It's actually embracing the imperfect action. It's not waiting for it to be perfect and going for it anyway. And after spending a few days thinking about, hmm, what do I do with this? Do we re-record this podcast entirely? Do we start again? Do I get Julie to just fill in a couple more gaps because there's so many unanswered questions? What do I do? And after listening back to it several times, I decided there's still so many nuggets of gold in this episode. And even myself, after this conversation, I came away driving home thinking about, hmm, how am I going to implement that? What am I going to do with that information? That's really powerful. And it really challenged my thinking. And that, to me, is the sign of an amazing conversation. So to me, I'm viewing this as imperfect action and as part one of the conversation with Julie. And hopefully we will get her back soon for part two of the conversation because I just know Julie has so much more to share. She's one of the most amazing women I've met and just really blew my socks off talking to her. So sit back, grab a coffee and enjoy part one of our conversation with Julie. All right. Welcome to this week's episode. We have got the amazing Julie Masters with us. Julie has spent her career decoding influence and was the co-founder of Ode Management, the world's largest dedicated speaker management agency. That feels like a mouthful (laughs) this morning. (laughs) Um, And had offices in the US and in Australia. Julie now is the founder and CEO of Influence Nation and works with leaders and organizations to become the voice of authority in their space. I've got so many questions to dig into on that one. Um, Julie has a 15-year history of leading um, authority in the speaking world and now works with CEOs, speakers, best-selling authors, media personalities, and many, many more, and is a parent of two with a very young um, bubs as well that we were just speaking about a minute ago. Yes. Did I miss anything on that incredible bio? No, no, it sounds fantastic. It's always funny when you listen to your own bio and you think, wow, yeah, you don't sound really good. Yeah. <laughs> in the midst of it all, it doesn't always feel that impressive, but it, it sounds good on paper. Yeah, I feel reading them out sometimes. You're like, wow. And I kind of stumble half reading it out because you're like, oh, this is huge. <laughs> I think stumble is the right word. Yeah. You stumble, you stumble through, you make it up as you go along and, and you hope at the end that if someone were to write it down, it sounds like a decent contribution of sorts. Well, yours definitely sounds like a decent contribution. (laughs) I think that the the babies definitely, I'll stand for that. They are a very decent contribution. Uh, How old are your two? Uh, My daughter is three and a half and my son is eight months old. Wow, that is impressive. That That is... is 
That is impressive. Julie and I were just comparing notes on um, sleepless nights last night. So the fact you've got two of us sitting here with coffee um, gives you the best chance. I know. You very kindly got me a coffee, which is so lovely of you. Um, <laughs> yeah, two, two under three is, is interesting from a sleep perspective. Let's put it that way. You try not to tell yourself a story about it, which is a whole thing just by itself. Yeah. Try not to tell yourself a story, you know, that you're tired or you haven't slept. Yeah. You know, you stop counting after a while yeah. and you just try and rid yourself of that narrative in your head and just get up and and get moving. And then there are those days yeah. where, you, where you're like, oh, this is a three-coffee day. Yeah. Three <laughs> and sugar. And yes. I actually read a study on that that um, they found it was most um, powerful if you just tell yourself, I feel great, I feel energized, as opposed to whether you had two hours, four hours, six hours, eight hours, um, or other different factors. It was most p- powerful, the narrative, like you just said, that you tell yourself. I think the most powerful thing I have found is, you know, you're at where you're at. Yeah. You're at where you're at. And, and I have an, an issue with this word authenticity, which is when, you know, you just show up where you're at. Mm. You know, I'm tired, I'm going through something right now. You know, you're at where you're at. The next part of that is how do you want to show up? Mm. How do you choose to show up right now? And you can show up intentionally. You can show up as we have done and say, you know, did you sleep last night? No. Did you sleep last night? Not that I remember. (laughs) Let's have a coffee and let's get into it. Yeah. You know, you, you can acknowledge where you're at and you can then choose how you want to show up very Mm. intentionally. And I that is what I attempt, I try to do, which is, you know, you're not, you're not telling yourself a story about it and then you show up intentionally. Yeah, I love that. That's really powerful. I thought I found the more I've got into those sorts of mindset hacks almost, I don't know if hack's the right word, but sort of little tips and tricks that sort of set you straight, the more powerful it's sort of been for me. Yeah. I'm going to change track because that's sort of completely going off course. And I want to kind of go back and start at the beginning a little bit um, around the background and starting Ode. And I want to sort of understand a little bit about how that came to be, because I think we hear a lot about someone had a great idea and then it just appears like this overnight success and it magically happened. And I want to understand a little bit more about the how. And the reason in particular is because at the time, um, and I've heard you talk about this and correct me if I'm wrong and fill in the gaps, speaking wasn't really what it is now. It wasn't well known. Um, It wasn't really the same profession that it's considered now. Uh, I heard an interview when you explained that you worked with speakers. People thought you were talking about literally like audio speakers like Bose. And so I'm really, really um, interested in how the agency came about, particularly when it was the, the industry didn't really exist. Can you talk to us a bit about the background? Yeah, I mean, the industry, I mean, I certainly didn't carve out any great shapes in the speakers bureau industry. There were there were speakers bureaus here that have been doing a good job for a long time. My, um, I arrived in Australia and, you know, didn't know anybody and was trying to get a job, trying to get a visa, actually. <laughs> I, was trying to, I know that well. Yeah, I was trying to get a visa. <laughs> had decided that I loved it and wanted to stay and met a lady called Leanne Christie. And Leanne Christie is just, you know, she is one of the, stalwarts of the speaking industry you know one of the most knowledgeable generous people in that world and she owned a speakers bureau and she at that stage she gave me a job and I can remember the immortal words that she said she was like I don't know why I'm giving you a job my accountant (laughs) said it's a bad idea and my husband said it's a bad idea you have no experience in this industry you need to be paid more than anybody else because that was the requirement for the visa yeah Um, and I don't even know if you can stay in the country so I have no idea why I'm giving you this job but I am 
And that was how... Your personality obviously, like, I, <laughs> I don't know whether she just had a brain blip on that day. And, and so we worked together for a little while. And then, to answer your question, about five or six years down the track of working together, I was about to go to Peru to teach English and had said, I'm taking, you know, very 20, mid-20-something thing to do. I need to go sit on a mountain and, and find myself and stare at my navel and ask myself questions about the universe. And she said, well, you go. But while you go, have a think about this. And she took out a napkin. And on that napkin, she just wrote, I think, three lines. You know, this is what I, this is a business that could exist. This is what it would look like. And this is how it would make money. And she gave me that napkin, literally a napkin in the middle of a cafe. And she said, you take that. Take that to your mountain in Peru. And I was like, fine. Yeah, okay, I'll take it. Popped it in my backpack. And, and just sat with it. And I came back and... And said, "Sure, let's give this, let's give this a whirl." And I had no idea. I don't think either of us did what we were signing up for at that point, because mm. the the business model was a speaker management agency, which did mm. not exist in Asia Pacific at that time. There were modeling managing agencies, there were, you know, singer management agencies, there were sports star management agencies, comedian management agencies, but there was no management agency for professional speakers, thought leaders, and so it was starting from scratch. So no one at that stage really knew what a management company was, you know, it didn't exist. And so the first bit of the business was really trying to educate um, people on a, on a brand new business model. Mm. And that, you know, I wouldn't, being first to market is not the easiest of things. It's much easier being second to market because yeah. you can just go in and pick up on the narrative and the, and the knowledge that already exists and the credibility that already exists. But what is great about being first to market is that you get to design that. You get to start those conversations. And so, you know, I think there's this fallacy with starting a business or we've been talking about it, starting a podcast or starting anything where, mm. you know, how did you start? Well, I went out and I had conversations and thus it began. And, yeah. You know, it, it doesn't work that way. You start out, you have conversations, people kind of nod at you and look a bit confused and then you have another conversation and, and then at the end of the conversation you realise that, they, you know, you were talking about two completely different things and then you go out and you have another conversation and someone's like, oh, it might be interested to talk to me later. And so just started going out. Mm having these conversations and trying to sign people. And I look back now and it's hilarious because I was trying to sign people to the idea of, of what was a sales and marketing company mm. for professional speakers or for people that, um, that had a speaking business. And I didn't have a website or we didn't have a website. Uh, I think my pitch deck was just like PowerPoint that I designed myself. And, you know, really I didn't have any of the normal crux things that people hide behind when it comes to trying to sign trying to sign your business I don't think I even had a business card but what I did have was a passion for what we did have myself and Leanne was a passion for how it was being done currently the support system Mm -hmm. that was available currently um, versus what we thought that we could provide and the energy that we thought we could bring to it and eventually enough of those conversations and you sign your first person and the other thing that no one talks about is the first five people that you sign or first mm. five clients that you sign might not end up being the right ones because mm. you know, at that point you don't really know what it is they've signed on to an idea that is still forming not only that but they've signed on to you personally and as we know businesses grow they evolve they scale and so that relationship which is you know you've got my mobile phone number call me anytime you like i'm sat here drop into the office anytime you like that evolves mm. suddenly there's staff and there's team trying to scale and so 
And also you don't know the questions to ask up front as to whether this client is a good fit for you and you are a good fit for them. And so the first year to two years you're learning, mm. you're learning how to get people signed on, you're learning who you should get signed on and you're learning how to deliver on what you have promised and the most authentic promises that you can make. So I think that was my learning early on. You just, mm. I have a saying that it's always version eight yeah, that's my saying. And you know, for those of you who are listening, you haven't seen what's gone into recording this podcast this morning. <laughs> it's like the eighth space we've tried and the eighth time we've. It's always version eight. So, so let go. Yeah. You know, don't get too attached to version one. You know, we said before, if you've if you feel you're ready, then you're probably too late. Like, don't get too attached to version one. Get it out there. Embrace mm. the suck. You're going to suck at some level. You're going to look back two years from now, and you better hope that when you look back two years from now, you're like, oh my god, what was I thinking? You better hope because that shows that you have continued to evolve. If you're embarrassed at what was happening two years ago, then, you know, you've, you've grown. If you're yeah. not embarrassed, then you probably you haven't grown that much. And so keep moving. It's always version eight. It won't be that title. It probably won't even be the name of the company yeah. two years from now. It won't be that idea. It'll be something else. But you don't get to version eight to the one where you go, yeah, this is really resonating now, unless you get through versions one to seven. I love that. So go out, start talking about it, let it iterate, let it learn about it, let it learn about mm. you. Keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. And then when you get to version eight, then you've got something. What yeah. are you talking about? I love that. And and in that process, whilst you're trying to get to version eight, so you know, we're obviously all about execution. During that time, you know, you must have had moments where, you know, when someone thinks you're talking about Bose speakers, um, when you're on versions two, three, four, where you kind of go, Oh, I want to throw in the towel or this isn't working, or so on. What are your tools? the, I guess, execution to keep going through those tough times, to keep going through the challenges, the knockdowns and so on. What are your tools that helped you get to version eight? eight. I was lucky that I did it in partnership. I think that that collaboration is probably one of the key tools, whether it's an official financial business partnership or whether it's a community that you're Mm -hmm. a part of, whether it's a mentorship, whether it's a coach, um, I was very lucky that I had a business partnership that, you know, we you know, we had this saying that vent and mm. then put your big pants on and <laughs> go do it. <laughs> You're allowed to vent, go vent. And you know, that was really helpful. Like, okay, is this a vent? Yes, it is, keep going. And like, are you finished venting now? Yeah, put your pants on, get out. And, you know, that, that ability to be able to go, you know, I just, I don't know what I'm doing. I've got no idea. This has gone wrong. I'm falling on my face and I feel so stupid and I'm never going to do this again. And why am I doing it anyway? And I remember one of the classic examples of that is um, we decided we were going to run a summit and we were going to, again, it didn't really exist at that stage. And um, we were going to run a summit for our speakers. We were going to get, and, and you know, these are, there's that beautiful book, which is called um, a team of rivals. And it's about US politics. And that's how it felt running a, a management mm. company, a team of rivals, because they're all, they're not competing for the same work, but, you know, there's only X mm. amount of speaking gigs in a conference and can only go to X amount of people. And so you've got this team of rivals around a table and who are also a team of collaborators. And it's really interesting dance. And so the very first time we did it, we did it in our boardroom. And bear in mind, it grew to the stage where we were doing it in hotels in New York. And this first one, we were in, in the boardroom of our office and I think five people showed. 
And one of those people who is still very dear friend of mine um, today, <laughs> he was at my wedding. I mean, I love him. And he was very jet lagged. He fell asleep on the table. He literally put his on the table <laughs> and fell asleep. Two other people started arguing about something. And I finished that and I turned around to Leanne and I said, I'm never doing that again. That was the most ridiculous idea we've ever had. That was crazy. I'm never doing that again. And again, that moment of collaboration because she had more experience than me mm. and she had the wisdom and perspective to look at me and go, you know, in similar words but different, you know, how, how do you want to contribute? Like, how do you want to do this? Mm. Do you want to do this where we're afraid to bring people together and, and hold a space where they can collaborate? Is the highest place for their business where they can collaborate mm. with each other and feed each other? Yes, it is. Then we have to hold that space as uncomfortable as it might be. Mm. that's our job we can't shy away from it and it doesn't serve anybody if we do and so with I would have just I would have backed away that felt like <laughs> such a bad I would have run away, yeah, run away <laughs> shut up shop and I would have backed away from that and we didn't we kept going and it grew and then again embrace the suck yep version eight and the other one that we did was we got um the competitors in our industry together we held um, what are called speaker showcase events and we invited all of the speakers bureaus in Australia to come be in the room together and we would put on a learning half day for them before the actual event and again this is people that wouldn't usually sit in a room together mm. because you know they're competitors and you know the first time you do that people are looking at you like why would I why would I A why would I come and yeah. B why would you attempt this and you just keep showing up and contributing and embracing the suck and um, committing to the conversation that you want to have, committing to the quality of the conversation that you want to have. Mm. And we had a saying in our office that, you know, I still commit to to this day and it's on my wall in my office at home and it just is world-class. Like, we're going to do it, we're going to do it world-class. And what would a world-class version of this look like? What would a world-class version of this company look like? What would a world-class version of this conversation look like Mm. and that commitment so collaborating so that when you suck there's somebody who can listen to you and then kick you back out yeah and committing to a version that you hold yourself accountable to is probably the two things I love that and you guys went on such a high growth journey and then moving into the US and for a lot of people the US is kind of like the holy grail I used to have a a business where we used to do sales strategies into export markets and the US was always like up there on a pedestal and if we can crack that we've made it but it's a beast and it's a massive beast can you talk to us a little bit about how you executed on your idea and your strategy of yeah we're going to take on the US We we can do this we can crack this because so many people have tried and I think it would be really great understand a little bit about the execution behind how that came to to actually be such a success uh, i think we nearly we nearly killed ourselves trying that's a whole different whole different conversation um i'll talk to you about the strategy that that was behind the move and it's still a strategy that i commit to and i know you know leanne now runs the company and, and she still commits to it. and that's the strategy of out contribute everybody else mm. You know, the traditional form of marketing, you're trying to break a market, you're trying to break a category, you'll break into a category, is you either out-shout, out-spend, or out-interrupt everybody else in that marketplace. And for me, you know, I, I studied marketing. I spent four years studying marketing and every single strategy 
points back to that same philosophy. And we didn't have the money to outspend anybody. Mm. And we, you know, we weren't even in the country so to start out shouting everybody. We couldn't be at all the networking events. Um, and out interrupting has just never felt like a comfortable space for me. You know, just, it just interrupt what people were doing. So we went to an out-contribute model and we just said, okay, let's go out to the marketplace to the people that we want to do business with and let's ask them what are the questions that they have in relation to our space. And then let's go out to our network and see who's best qualified to answer those questions and ask them if they will. And then we took the answers to those questions and we went out, I think it was like a 12-week program where we said, We've, you, we asked you what questions you have in relation to the to this space you answered we've gone out there we've found the best minds we can come up with here are the, some of the answers and we wow. just went purely in with a contribution model you know we would love to have a conversation we would love to do business at some stage but here is our contribution there was no ask there was no ask mm. there was no ask and and that got cut through that got really that got really good cut through we already had some relationships going in so that was that was really helpful um but to speak to your point about the US being a beast, it is, you know, it is a beast. Like our, the tax returns alone, I remember, were like four, four inches thick in tax returns you have to file. And I remember we got the phone call once. It was like last thing on a Tuesday or something crazy. And we got this phone call from our bank at the time that was doing, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of transactions from all over the world. Um I think even at that stage, you know, running into the millions and they just said, oh, we're, we're closing your bank account. And you can imagine, you're like, uh, sorry? Come again? You say what? They <laughs> said, so, well, we're closing. We've decided that there's, um, you have too many foreign transactions for our, our liking, as in you're, you're too high on our risk profile. And so we've made the decision to close your bank account. Your bank account will be closed. And you're like, right then. Okay. Uh, and you can't open a bank account in the USA unless you're a physical person. And so mm. you've got to get on a plane, you've got to fly over, you've got to find a new bank account, you've got to sign all the paperwork, you've got to redirect everything, you've got to, and then you've got, you know, every other logistical issue that comes with that. But again, to go back to the core question, how do you break into something that seems impenetrable? And I think that the answer to that question is that you learn the questions of your target market, you need to become fluent in their questions. Mm about the challenges, opportunities, trends and processes that are important to them. I think that you need to become a translator of those questions using their language in easy-to-digest bites. That is my number one tool for, for cut through in anything, really. And do you think that's um, then, you know, you've talked about being the voice of authority, you know, this is your, your area of expertise. Do you think that is also the key to becoming the voice of authority is you have become the translator in the right language, digestible, bite-sized chunks. It, so for someone who wants to become influential in that voice of authority, is that what you think the secret to success is? Yeah, I think that we've, we've come from an information age were mm. those that had the power were the ones that held the information and not everybody had access to the information. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that our parents were spending a fortune on the Encyclopedia Britannica set so that their <laughs> children had access to information. That was a huge thing and a very proud moment for someone to have purchased that access for their children. Mm. And now we have access to all the information. You know, I can watch a Harvard lecture on YouTube if I so choose. So we've had this absolutely fundamental shift pivot upside down to those that have the power and the influence being those that hold the information to those that are able to translate the information if you look at the people you go to now the people that you follow the people that you trust 
but the people that translate the mm. information for you. It's people that go out onto the fringes and say, look, don't worry about all of that. Here's what you need to know, given your unique challenges mm. and opportunities are what you need to know. You need to remember these three things. From bottom line, make sure you don't forget this. Those are the people we call, those are the people we have on speed dial, those are the people we pay a premium mm. for their advice and their expertise. So this flip, and I was just with a team of lawyers yesterday, and, and you know, they're really working on this flip where pre, like legacy is you got paid for your technical expertise. Mm. And the more technical, you know, the, the larger the briefing document, the longer the email, you know, billable hours, the, the more credible you were seen to be. That was your job. Mm. And now we've got a complete flip in their role. Nobody wants that anymore. They want it available should they choose to look at it, should they request it. But what they want and what they're prepared to pay a premium for is a translator, somebody that owns their space enough to go, here's what you need to know. And not only that, but I know your world well enough. This is what you also need to know about this area, this macro trend over here that's coming your way. And this is what you also need to know about you know, risk profiles that are coming your way. If you can become the translator for somebody's space, mm. then that is a long-term sticky trust-based. And you've just saved them hours and days, actually, of yeah. going and finding the information from different sources. Yeah. And, and also, if you look at the people you follow online, yeah. the people whose newsletters you read, or whose videos you watch, podcasts you listen to, it's always, always, always going to be the people that translate some of the important people. Yeah. Do you think part of that is also the ability to play the long-term game? Yeah, so just having a conversation about that this morning. Um, playing the long-term, staying in touch over a long period of time, not viewing a loss where you pitch for business, you don't win, not viewing that as the end of a relationship, viewing that as right now is my opportunity to really make an impact because most people would drop the relationship now. And if I hold on to this relationship and I continue contributing, mm-hmm. eventually they're going to reconsider their decision for whatever reason, and I'm going to be right there. And so playing the long-term game, playing a generous, generosity contribution-based game is, is the key to winning business, mm. I think, because you're not going to win every pitch. But you can keep all of those relationships in the long term. And, and as a tool for that, I have, I have and I've always had this little thing in my diary on a Monday morning. I call it radar. And it's just an hour on a Monday morning. Sometimes I can't get an hour, so it's half an hour. And all I do in that hour is I go out to the places where I look for information, the blogs, um, the trends reports, the what whatever and wherever it is, Ted, I find things that are interesting and then someone will pop into my mind and I think, that person will find that interesting. Or that reminds me of a conversation I had with such and such. I'm going to send that to them. You know, the most powerful words, I think, in sales and in business, uh, I saw this and I thought of you. I love that. You know, that will get you more relationships, open more doors, win you more pitches eventually or the opportunity to pitch than any other sentence, I think. Because there's no ask in it and it's no genuine ask. and it's a, oh, I thought this would be really interesting to you. It's absolutely. There's people I haven't done business with in seven years, mm. but I still see something and I just, hey, I saw this when I thought of you. Worth, worth checking out. I love that. So before Judy has to dash soon and jump on a plane. So before we let you run away, I just want to finish with some questions around your I call it high performance habits from a perspective of, you know, you are literally about to go jump on a plane. You've got two young kids. um, You've got an amazing business. You know, you're in demand as a speaker all over the world now. How, 
how do you navigate those sorts of demands on you that you've got from both personal perspective and professional perspective? And I guess second part to the question is what are your non-negotiables when you're having a week like this week where it's incredibly busy? When your house is flooded and your children are sick. And- yeah, and all the other things we've been debating this morning over a coffee. What are your non-negotiable rituals that just actually get you on your A game and help you play a high performance game? I feel like such a almost fraud answering that question as if I had it figured out. Um, my non-negotiables, I'll have a bash at that question. So my non-negotiables, number, there's a couple of family ones. So we do fajita night on a Friday night. It sounds like such a small thing, but, you know, my daughter, every morning she asks me, is it fajita day today? And how many sleeps until fajita day? We put a picnic out on the floor, we watch a movie and we, we make fajitas and we sit down and we you know, she gets to eat with her hands. And we don't make her sit at the table and she can watch a movie while she's eating. And so she just loves it. So little rituals make a big, big difference. Um, my husband and I also, we do a thing called check-in every Sunday. So these are personal rituals. Um, and we've done that for nearly 15 years now. And basically every Sunday, it doesn't take long, we mark each other for happiness, connection, mojo and health. And then we give each other, you know, we say an appreciation for the week and then we ask for support in something that we might need more support in or we might want to be different or we want to start. And those two connect, those two non-negotiables have held us together when the ships got rocky, mm. held our whole family together when the ships got rocky and it will get rocky. Let's yeah. face it, you know, it will get rocky. Um, if you're living any kind of a full, big life, with surrounded by people you love with, with as many connections as you can as you can hold or not hold some days you're gonna have periods of time where it's gonna get rocky mm-hmm. um so those two are really important to me on a on a business front my non-negotiables I try and get home to put my children to bed mm-hmm. I try my best to do that um you know we spoke I'm away more nights than I would like at the moment because I always try and sleep in a hotel room before I give a presentation because I feel like if I don't, then, you know, I could be up 20 times the night before and nobody wants me <laughs> the next morning if I, you know, been up 20 times before. So, and then you just, you let it go because it changes. And I think that's that's also reality as we talked about. It changes shape every five minutes. Mm. You know, you go from one child to two children. You go from children that can't move to children that suddenly have opinions. That's very different. Trying to negotiate with a child that you're flying out tomorrow when they have an opinion versus when they don't. Um, you know, that changes. A hundred and one things will change. Your, your, your parents will, you know, things will happen in their lives. Um, your friends, the people that you're there to support, the people that are there to support you. I think that on the one hand, you hold as tightly as you can to the things that you know work and then on the other hand you try and develop a level of surrender to the rest and this will make you laugh I read this book called The Surrender Experiment which I loved would highly recommend to anybody and I put this quote up on my wall in the office I did that this Sunday at lunchtime I know it was at lunchtime because both my children were in bed and I put it up on the wall and it said the quote literally said the water is stronger than you are Try again, but with more, less you this time and more water. Yeah. And I put it up there just as a reminder to go, just to move with it. Like stop fighting, move with it, move with the water. It's stronger than you are. And it might take you places you could never imagine. Anyway, this will, this will make you giggle. And so I did that at 1 p.m. 
at 3 p.m., my roof started leaking. It was the biggest downpour that Sydney has ever had. I think it was like three years worth of water in three yeah. days. And water literally started running down the walls. And that piece of paper that I had stuck to the wall was soaking wet. Like there was actually <laughs> water running over it, down onto the floor. My lounge room and my dining room were covered in an inch of water. And my husband started laughing and he said, come, I'd forgotten. He said, come here. And I walked into the office and there's that piece of paper that I had literally only put up an hour before that said, the water is stronger than you are. <laughs> it's covered in water. My whole house is covered in water. And I thought, well, there you go. Yeah, it's, someone was trying to tell you something. <laughs> yeah, it's the truth. The water is stronger than you are. And there's a time when you just got to move you just yep. got to move with what is and hold on to what you have decided is important. And that's what you have decided is important. It's going to be different for everybody. Yeah. I love that. Now, look, I know you need to run. So before you go, can you tell us where people can find you, where people can check you out, websites, LinkedIn, Instagram, yeah. where are you hanging out? Hanging out in most places. So hanging out probably primarily on LinkedIn, um, Instagram. I, I dabble with, if you're more, you know, if you're interested in, in the weirdness of my life, then jump on Instagram. <laughs> LinkedIn's way more professional. Um, Twitter, not so not so active on and my website, which is juliemasters.com. Perfect. And we'll put all the details in the show notes. Thank you very much, Julie. Really appreciate it. Lovely to be here. If you enjoyed this week's episode with Julie, please come and see her at the Execution Zone Summit on the 27th of February in Sydney. If you want to reserve your spot and see all the full details, go to theexecutionzone.com and check out all the details there. Before you leave us, don't forget to subscribe. And if you loved our podcast, please leave a review. That is really, really helpful to us. Before you leave us, don't forget to check out the Execution Zone Summit on the 27th of February in Sydney. We're going to have the incredible Jacinta McDonald, co-founder of Anytime Fitness, talking to us about how they disrupted the fitness industry, how they took it from zero to over 500 clubs, her tips for success and all the behind the scenes of her story. We're then going to have the amazing Julie Masters, CEO of Influence Nation, take us through her Influencer Code workshop. This is about how do you become influential in your industry in a digital age and what do you need to do to stand out from the crowd in such a noisy space. This workshop is just going to be absolutely brilliant. Julie just is an incredibly inspiring lady who walks her talk and has years of experience that she brings to the table on this topic. Beyond that, we're then going to be doing activities to start putting your learning into action. We don't want you walking away feeling inspired. We want you walking away having taken the first steps to execution. Get your tickets now on www.theexecutionzone.com. Hold up. 